look at what salvation is, what it requires, what it demands, and how it is individual and personal. That's all straight ahead today here on Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Pastor Steve Converse. Join us. And again, from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, hi, welcome to the program. This is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, who has us back in the book of Romans. Today, we're taking a look at five statements about salvation that stem from our text here in chapter one, the elements of saving faith, and the fact that we need to understand the content of this gospel as we proclaim it. There is so much about this gospel that is profound yet quite simple. And that's what Paul is laying out for us here in the book of Romans. Join us and be encouraged in this gospel that saved you with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth, Pastor Steve Converse. Somehow we fall into the trap in the church that we think that we have to sell the gospel. That somehow it's up to us to be a salesman of the gospel. And when we fall into that niche of trying to sell the gospel of Christ, we think, well, you know what, we want to make it appealing to people. And so we want to gloss over the negative aspects of the gospel, the idea that you've got to repent of your sin, that you've got to trust wholly and solely in the work of Christ. And we want to focus only on the positive. When that happens, beloved, we fall into the camp of being ashamed of the gospel. I was sharing with the pastors over there last Saturday that shared with them the illustration of don't think for a second that as a pastor of your church that somehow you're the cook. That somehow you've got to go in the kitchen and you've got to make up some ingredients that are going to appeal to your people. That's not our role. And I shared with them the, the illustration that we're not the cook, we're, we're simply the waiter. We bring God's food to the table. If people eat it, God bless them. If they don't, that's their problem. But we don't want to change the meal. We don't want to change the ingredients of the gospel. And there's a lot of too many churches today that are doing just that. We do not need God's salvation. And Christ did not need to die on the cross if we're all basically good people who just need a little bit of encouragement to be right with God. That's not the gospel. We don't need a crucified Savior if our main need is just to polish our self-esteem, and learn some helpful hints for living. Beloved, we need a Savior. We need a Christ who died, who was crucified in our place for our sins because by nature, all of us are ungodly. All of us are sinful. All of us have rebelled against God's authority and His law. And we're under God's righteous wrath. Now, that's an offense, you may be here this morning and say, well, that's offensive. I'm a good person. No, you're not. You're not a good person. I'm not a good person. None of us are good people. We've all done things that have violated God's word. Whether it's tell a lie or take something that's not our own, irrespective of its value, or think a, a lustful thought of someone else, whatever it might be, all those things are an offense to God. And those offenses have to be dealt with. And if you pull those those basic ingredients out of the gospel and you make it just a little happy message that Jesus loves everybody and you just, you just, you know, say a little prayer and that's it. That's being ashamed of the gospel. That's being offensive to God's message of the gospel. The gospel is only good news to the person who realizes that he needs to be saved. And that if he doesn't, he'll 
spend all eternity in hell apart from God, under the condemnation of God. Well, secondly, salvation requires the very power of God. The power of God. It says there the gospel does not tell people about the power of God. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say go out and tell people about the power of God. No, it says the gospel is the power of God. That's where the power of God lies for salvation. That means that salvation is some, not something that sinners can attain by their own efforts or their own good works. It's impossible. If that were so, Christ died in vain on the cross. He didn't need to die because somehow we could save ourselves. Get out of your mind that salvation is some kind of a joint project between you and God. You know, God does his part. Now you have to contribute your part. You might be saying, well, don't, you know, you just said you have to believe. Yes, you do. And we'll see that in a moment. Salvation is received and sustained by faith alone from start to finish. But saving faith, which includes repentance, is not something that sinners can produce on their own. Even repentance is something that's granted to us, the Bible says. It's the gift of God, Ephesians says, so that no one may boast. And it's crucial to see that salvation does not depend on a human decision, but it depends on the very power of God. It requires that God impart new life to a dead sinner. You couldn't go into a morgue and say, hey, I want to ask you a question, dead person. They wouldn't respond. There's no way they could respond. They're dead. We're called dead in our trespasses and sin. There's no way we could respond to the gospel in and of ourselves unless God makes that possible through his power. It requires that God impart that new life to a dead sinner, something that's impossible for men to bring about. Remember when Jesus cried out in John 11 to Lazarus after he was dead some four days. He said, Lazarus, come forth. I mean, the people there probably thought, this man is crazy. I mean, this guy's been dead for four days. You really think he's going to just get up and walk out of there? We've seen the body. He's dead. There's no life there. He's speaking to a dead man who's been in the tomb for four days. But see, the neat thing here is the power of God through the word of Jesus imparted life to this dead man. He was dead. The gospel is just like that spiritually. Even when the rich young ruler walked away from eternal life. Remember that? He said, well, what do I have to do to be saved? Jesus gave him a list of stuff. and He said, oh, I've done all that. You look in Matthew 19. Jesus ends there and he says to his disciples, because the disciples were kind of concerned about Jesus' message. He thought, wait a minute, this, this is kind of a hard message, Jesus. We have all these followers and you're telling them that this is impossible. He tells the man, go and possess, sell everything you possess and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And when the young man, verse 22, heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had many great possessions. He was unwilling to give up all for Christ. See, that's what the neat thing about the gospel. It's all or nothing. You can't take some and, and leave half of it behind. It's either a full-on commitment or you don't have the gospel. And after hearing that and seeing that, his disciples looked at him and said, Man, you're not helping our cause here, Jesus. You're causing these people to walk away. And so in verse 23 it says, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Again, I tell you, and then he says this, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. There have been a lot of commentators that have commented on that verse, saying, well, you know, here's what he meant. He meant the gate? No, he meant exactly what he said. I really believe that. Because look at what he says to them. They said the disciples heard this. They were greatly astonished, verse 23 or 25. Who then can be saved? That's the question. Who can be saved? If you're saying it's so impossible, who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, what? With man. This is impossible. Salvation is not something that comes from us, beloved. It's not something that comes from man. But he says, but with God, all things are possible. Salvation is something that can only come from the Lord. Jonah 2.9. Salvation is from the Lord. It requires the very power of God. The gospel is not something that we just give people to help them with their life. Some helpful advice. Maybe that person uh, try to work things out. It's the very power of God imparting new life and salvation to those who are dead in their trespasses and sin, under God's judgment, under God's wrath, under God's condemnation. One commentator says the preaching of the word does not merely make salvation possible, but affects salvation in those who are called. We don't know who's called. We don't know who's chosen before the foundation of the world to be saved. We don't know that. They don't have a little C on their forehead saying, oh, there's a called one. I'll go witness to that guy because I know God's... No, we don't know. That's why he says go and preach the gospel to everyone. The third thing here, salvation demands the righteousness that the righteousness of God be upheld and applied to the guilty sinner. Look at what it says in verse 17. Paul explains why the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And he says this, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. How is it revealed? It's revealed through his son, the Lord Jesus. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul explains his own conversion. And he says this, but when God who had set me apart from my mother's womb (laughs) and called me through his grace, he was pleased to reveal his son in me. So the gospel comes to us by revelation from God that centers on his son. Paul here doesn't lead off with the love of God in the gospel. He doesn't focus on the love of God. He focuses on the word righteousness. The righteousness of God. That has to be the center point of the gospel. I mean, surely God's gospel presents God's love for sinners. Romans 5, 8, right? God showed his love to us. Romans 3.16, or John 3.16, for God so loved the world. I mean, if God is just loving as we've made him today, unfortunately, but not so righteous, then it's easy to, to view him as this good buddy upstairs in the sky that helps us out when we're in time of need. But see, the righteousness of God presents a problem. Because we all know that we've sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And if God is righteous and we are not, what does the Bible say? We need a Savior. We need something, someone who can help us with our unrighteousness, with our sin. But what does Paul mean here when he says the righteousness of God is revealed? It may mean the attribute of, of righteousness that God possesses. It may be referring to God's saving power and being faithful to his covenant promise. God is himself righteous. It also mean, 
may mean the gospel, re- the gospel reveals how sinners may be righteous, may be justified before God by faith. I mean, that's what really he's saying here. He's saying there's no way for you to become righteous outside of God. Tells us there in Romans, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for those who believe. For there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3. But being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of those, of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, we come before God this morning in this communion table not having a righteousness of our own. We come because we put our faith and trust in the living God, in Christ, sacrifice on our behalf. And God's righteousness is revealed in the gospel. And he can grant us a right standing before God because He imputes His righteousness to us, Christ's righteousness on us. We don't have a righteousness of our own. There's none righteous. No, not one. And so sinners are not justified by their own righteousness or by keeping of the law, but rather by God giving them the righteousness of Christ. Paul says that plainly in in Philippians 3, by the way. He contrasts his former life with his, his current life. And he says, not having a righteousness of my own with Christ, of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from what? From living good life, from from following all the commandments, from doing this, from going to church, by praying, no. It comes from God on the basis of faith. I think this is one of the most misunderstood theological understandings in the Christian's life today. If you get this right, if you understand when you are saved from your sin that God declares you righteous, what does that do? That gives you a whole new perspective on the way you're going to live your life. I don't know about you, but if if I thought somehow every time I sinned, every time I fell short, every time I did something that violated God's command in thought or deed, that God was up there with a big bat ready to hit me, I don't think I would go to that kind of a God and say, hey, sorry, Father, I've sinned. Reminded growing up in the church when I'd go to the confessional, forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. It's been a month since my last confession. Then you start listing off your sins. And then the priest would say, I can't remember what he'd say, some words, and then he'd say, here, you have to go kind of make penance. So go say five, our fathers, three Hail Marys, da-da-da-da. And you'd leave the little booth and you'd go out and you'd kneel down, pious and everything, and start chanting and saying these prayers. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be the name of the kingdom, and the will be done on earth, and give us the day of daily bread, and give us our trespasses, we give those trespasses, and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be the name. And we'd say it over and over. Hail Mary, for Christ, Lord is with you, bless her, that one. And we'd just do it. Why? Because he told us to do it. We were earning God's favor. We thought somehow that made us righteous before God. I say that growing up in a Roman Catholic church, but beloved, I really believe there's a lot of Christians in the church today that look at their Christianity the same way. They believe somehow by coming here Sunday morning and warming a pew that somehow God's going to love them more. 
that somehow God is going to look at them as, as more righteous than those who stayed home and watched football. Simply not true. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are declared righteous. Not because of something you've done or something that you're doing. The, wor- the religions of the world can be identified by one word. It's D-O, what you do. It's not dependent on what I do. It's dependent on what was done on my behalf. That's why we celebrate communion. We're celebrating what Christ has done for us. We don't have a righteousness of our own. Fourthly, salvation is by faith from finish to, from start to finish. Paul mentions here believing or faith four times in these verses. To everyone who believes from faith to faith, the righteous shall live by faith. If salvation comes through faith plus good works, what I believe growing up, then that's not good news. Because you can never know whether you've piled up enough good works to save you or not. But if God declares guilty sinners to be righteous and justified the instant they believe and put their faith and trust, that's good news. We need to be clear here on several things. First, saving faith in Christ is not a general belief that He is the Savior. What do I mean by that? The Bible says the demons believe that Jesus is Savior. That doesn't save them. Well, what is saving faith? Saving faith has three elements. First of all, with the mind, we must understand the content of the gospel. What do I mean by that? You have to understand who Jesus is, that he was the son of God. He wasn't just some good teacher. I asked my Muslim friend, I said, do you think Jesus was a good teacher? Oh, yeah, very good man, very good teacher. I said, do you know what Jesus said? What did he say? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. He said that? Yeah, he said that. You still think he's a good teacher? Would he lie? Oh, no, he wouldn't lie. Well, then what he said was true. You have to understand who Jesus is. You have to also understand what his death on the cross means. What his death on the cross means. His death on the cross, beloved, means that we get to live. His death on the cross means that he was willing to pay the price for our sin. It wasn't just some little kind of afterthought. Oh, yeah, I'll die for these people. Big deal. No, this was planned before the foundation of the world. And you also have to understand that he was raised from the dead. If Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, he would just be another dead religious figure. So you have to understand the content of the gospel, who Jesus is, what his death means, and that he was raised from the dead. Second, you have to have a heart response to the truth of the gospel, where we agree that it's true and our agreement causes our hearts to be sorrowful over our sin. But it also causes us to rejoice in the free offer of God's grace. To understand that God gives us salvation free. It's not something we earn. It's not something we work for. And thirdly, saving faith includes a commitment to Christ. That's very clear. Jesus taught that over and over again. We have to trust in Him. We have to trust in His death on the cross as our only hope for eternal life. And then we follow Him as our Lord. We obey Him the best we know how on a daily basis. See, saving faith is not a work that we do. That's not saving faith. Saving faith is rather simply receiving all that God offers us in Christ. It's the hand that receives the free gift of God. We also need to understand what Paul means by this phrase, faith to faith. So a lot of different points on this. But it simply means, you know what? As you believe, continue to believe, it requires faith. And that's continuous. You don't just... Believe here that Jesus saved you and you're saved and then you don't have to believe ever, ever, ever again. No, it's a continuous faith. It's faith to faith, day to day. 
That's why he says, thirdly here, you have to understand how Paul, under, what he means by Habakkuk 2.4 when he says, the righteous shall live by faith. What's he doing? Paul's saying, hey, this isn't something I thought up. This is not some new message. This is something that comes from the prophets. This is something that comes from the Old Testament. This isn't some new way of salvation. People sometimes say, well, how did, how did people get saved in the Old Testament? Oh, they got saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. No, they didn't. There's nobody that could ever keep the Ten Commandments or any of the other law that was given. The Ten Commandments are just a small part of the Mosaic Law, beloved. There's a lot of other things you'd have to keep as well. The law of God was given to show our inadequacy to keep the law of God so that we would understand that God's standard is so high, there's no way we could ever meet it. That's why we need to be saved. That that righteousness can only be attained on a basis of faith. The one who is righteous shall live by faith. Are you living by faith? Are you living by what you see on a daily basis? Paul's using this quote to say, the one who is righteous or justified by faith will live, that is, be saved. Fifth thing here, salvation is not, is individual. Salvation is individual and it's personal. It's not corporate and national. Just because you were born in a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian. Paul says here that the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Notice that he says to the Jew, singular, to the Greek, singular. He could have said, oh, to the Jews, to the Greeks, to everybody. No. He uses a singular noun here. And the reason he does is because he wants us to know that it's something that's individual. We put our faith in Christ. God saves us individually. It's not a corporate or a national mindset as the Jews believed. Being a member of the Jewish race will not get you saved even though the Jews are God's chosen people. Salvation is a personal, individual matter. Being an American or being a member of a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian. You must personally believe the gospel of Christ. The Jew first, he basically means the gospel came first to the Jews. God chose Abraham and his descendants through Isaac and Jacob as the race which he revealed his salvation to. Fortunately, they rejected It was through the Jews that the Savior came. John 4, 22, Jesus says salvation is from the Jews. But Paul is saying here that it's for everyone who will believe, not just for the Jews, not just for the pagan Greek. It's good news, whatever your background is. Ask yourself this morning, are you a self-righteous, religious, moral person? Maybe you're a good person in your own mind. But you need to recognize that you still need to receive the righteousness that comes from God through Christ by faith. Finally, here, last two points quickly. Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, we must believe it. I want to ask you this morning, have you believed the gospel? Have you abandoned all your self-righteous attitudes and ideas and good works as a basis for your standing before God and instead trusted only in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Christians, do you believe that the gospel is good news when you fail and Satan accuses you? On the basis of your right standing before God, do you daily battle against sin? So that your attitudes and your behaviors and all that can be progressively more righteous each day. Being sanctified, being made more like the Son. God's power to save you from the power of sin evident in your relationship. Is it evident in your relationship, whether in the home or at work? Lastly, because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, beloved, we have to proclaim it. We have to do so boldly. But I want to ask you this morning, are you ashamed of the gospel? Do you look for ways out when God opens doors? Because maybe you're just a little intimidated to share or to warn people about the wrath of God. 
because maybe it's not a popular idea or maybe to isolate people. You avoid telling people about the shed blood of Jesus Christ as the only remedy for their sin. Do you try to put a positive spin on the message of the gospel that God has already given us? So hopefully it sounds kind of like a positive plan so these people can have a happy life. If you do those things, I would say you're ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God has revealed to us, how we can be rescued from the wrath of God. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.